Welcome back, everyone, to the Worldview Minute. We are continuing this applying of the Christian worldview to the different areas of life. And right now we're looking at that search for the true self. What does that even mean and how is it going? In the last episode, we, we kind of laid out uh, the idea of even searching for the self, answering the question, who am I? This is a question a lot of people in prior generations wouldn't even have asked. Like, what kind of a question is that? It was determined by their familial, familial relationships, their community uh, relationships. And today we're going to unpack seven dead ends, seven false versions of the self. Now, there is significant overlap on these seven different uh, solutions offered to us today uh, when we go looking for ourselves, and they taint and they overlap and they build upon one another. But I want us to think for the second about our obsession with finding the self and why it's not working. I'm going to read to you a rather long quote here from David Wells in his book, God in the Whirlwind. Here it is right here, uh, if you can see it, God in the Whirlwind. And I w I'm going to take the time to read this quote because he captures and he's describing here what he calls the American or Western paradox of our life today. And it captures really what's going on uh, in this search for the self and how unsatisfying it has become. So I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you here. It is that we have never had so much, and yet we have never had so little. Never have we had more choices, more easily accessible education, more freedoms, more affluence, more sophisticated appliances, better cars, better houses, more comfort, or better health care. This is one side of the paradox. The other side, though, is that by every measure, depression has never been more prevalent, anxiety higher, or confusion more widespread. We are not holding on to our marriages uh, together very well. Our children are more demoralized than ever. Our teens are committing suicide at the highest rate ever. And we are, more, are, in, and we are incarcerating more and more people. This is the other side of the paradox he's talking about. Then he dives into more, what is it like to be a young person in this age, looking for the true self in all of these movies, TV shows, social media, TikTok videos? He then says this about young people today. They often report that they grew up in good homes, had all they wanted, went to college, perhaps entered the workforce. They are nevertheless baffled by the emptiness they feel. Their self-esteem is high but their self is empty. They grew up being told they could be anything they wanted to be, but they do not know what they want to be. They are unhappy, but there seems to be no cause for their unhappiness. They are more connected to more people through the internet, and yet they have never felt more lonely. They want to be accepted, and yet they often feel alienated. Never have we had so much. Never have we had so little. This is our paradox. David Wells captures this reality perfectly well for us today. We've never had so much. We've never been so blessed. We've never had such easy lives, and yet we've never had so little. We've never been so depressed, anxious. We feel empty. We search for the self, but it doesn't work. We want happiness, but we can't find it. The more we try to grab onto it, the more it slips through our fingers. And at the heart of this is we are trying to ask and answer who I am, and we are trying to do it all by looking within and without any reference to something outside of us or any reference to God. And when we remove God from the equation, the eternal God, the God who is there, the God who has spoken, the God who has revealed himself to us, we are left with only really two options, right? That we can define ourselves with ourselves individually or with the community. And we're going to see these overlapping um, ideologies here of these seven, seven, seven different answers to who I am 
today. And all of these are dead ends. All of them fail. You're going to recognize many of them and all of them overlap and complement and build off uh, one another. So the first one is this. The first one is the oppressed self. The oppressed self. We could even call this the victim self. And this person views that man is inherently good. And the problem that we face in the world today is man is inherently good. He is a, he is created good is that society and other people place unrealistic or oppressive or repressive uh, expectations upon us. So a key thinker in this is Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the 18th century Genevan philosopher. So he said society with all of its, all of its cords, all of its binding, all of its expectations on us and specifically Christianity, uh, they, they bind us and they oppress us so that we can never find our truest self. And so uh, Rousseau was renowned for thinking that the best way that man could free himself is that he could be native. He could go live in the jungle or in the forest by himself so society could not oppress him. And then he could find his truest self and uh, and live that out and be free from the expectations of others. Now, Rousseau, most people don't know Rousseau uh, on the street corner, and yet this thinking has been very influential in the Western tradition. It's been picked up. It's been developed. It's been applied in everything from Disney stories uh, that I need to let it go, as it were, all these expectations people have on me, then I'll find uh, my truest self, or in the academy, or by other great thinkers uh, like Karl Marx, uh, points back to Rousseau and adapts it and, and twists it in his own uh, specific directions. But his view of humanity is that man um, is created good, but he has been fostered by social conditions. He's been fostered by social conditions, conditions into being oppressed or, or held back. So the fundamental problem isn't within, it's that the world doesn't see me for who I really am. The world doesn't accept me for who I really am. And if only you could see how great I am, everything uh, would be better. That should sound very familiar. Uh, the second, second vision of the self, the second answer to who I am, uh, we call the ex existential self. The existential self. Uh, a key person in this view of who human humans are is Jean-Paul Sartre. He was a French philosopher, a novelist, and a playwright, and he argues this, this is what existentialism is, is that existence comes before essence. And that's fancy talk for saying you exist before you have any meaning, right? You exist, there is existence, and then meaning is ascribed to the existence by us. You are not created with inherent meaning, you have to create that own meaning for yourself. You have to find that meaning for yourself, create it for yourself, and it's all then self-created. There is no inherent design or meaning to anything. All This is all we're left with if there is no creator. If there is no creator who spoke things into existence, who assigns meaning to things, then we have to create the meaning for ourselves. And this is just a fancy way of saying that no true meaning actually really exists. The third, third version of the self is the relative self. And this really builds off of those first two versions of the self. This is built off the postmodern thought that there is no universal truth. Our truth and meaning are clearly tied uh, very close uh, to one another. And so if you want to find your true self, you have to look within or you have to have a communal base for that truth. One community looks at truth one way. This is true for them. This is true for the other group of individuals. And so the relative self lives in a universe where there is no universal truth. And so to an extent, they have to find and discover and even create uh, their own truth. And so the only thing then that happens is when somebody makes a truth claim that they claim to be universal is an exercise of power. And so in a meaningless world, in a world without truth, the only thing that is left 
is power. And now we're back to this idea that we're being oppressed. When someone makes a claim about our true identity, that is not one that I agree with. It's not, the question isn't whether or not it's actually true. The, the, the question then becomes is, why are you oppressing me? Why are you using power uh, against me? The relative self. I determine for myself who I am by my own standards. The fourth version of the self today that's prevalent is the therapeutic, or you could call this the psychological self. If there's no universal truth, if there's no uh, universal meaning, if man is created inherently good and he's oppressed uh, by outside forces, uh, what is life about? Well, the psychological or ther therapeutic self turns all of life into therapy. Life becomes about how I feel. The chief end of life is feeling good. It is about feeling safe. We desire most out of life that we have psychological wellness or happiness. And as David Wells points out, the more we've searched for that, the less we actually uh, get it. So if anything makes me feel uncomfortable, it becomes violence. If anything makes me um, feel unsafe or doesn't affirm me, it is oppressive. It is um, evil, even if it is something like my immutable biology. If my immutable biology does not affirm how I feel about myself, if you can't affirm what makes me happy, though again, the studies kind of show it doesn't really make them happy, uh, then it is the problem that needs to be self. The primary problem in the for the therapeutic person is feelings. It's not morality. It's not right and wrong. It's not reality. It is psychology. It is feeling good about yourself. And of course, then we don't tend to feel very good about ourselves. The fifth. Fifth version of the self is the expressive self. This builds off of everything that's that's come before. This view says um, builds off of the oppressed self and determining yourself and finding your true self, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just that you find your true self within. It's not just that you get to determine your own truth for yourself. It's not just that you should feel good about that, but it is also then that you should be able to give full expression to that in the world. And everyone should then affirm it. Now, Charles Taylor summarizes this in his book, A Secular Age. He says this, Each of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity, and that it is important to find and live out one, one's own as against a surrendering, surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religion or political theory. The good life is not just finding your true authentic self. It is being able to give full vent, full expression to it. And that expression must be then celebrated and affirmed. And of course, the problem is, is what is if your truest, most authentic self is a serial killer, serial rapist, and you must express that about yourself. These are the questions we have to ask. The sixth version of the self is the intersectional self. We really saw this come to rise after uh, 2016 and, and 2020. Along the lines of the oppressed self, we can't just view ourselves now as just one identity. You now have multiple identifiers. There are an intersection, a crossing of different identities that come together to build the unique you. And so you might be an oppressed person in lots of different identifiers. You might be black. You're oppressed because you're black. You might be a female. You're oppressed because you're a female. You might be homosexual as well. And then you're oppressed because of that. And you might also be poor. So then you have four different oppressed identities. Conversely, you might be a white, straight uh, male who's also a Christian. Now you have four identifiers that intersect into your unique experience as an oppressor. 
And so then we are encouraged to repent of our oppressive identities, our privileges, our whiteness, our maleness, our straightness, or even uh, our wealth. But here's the problem with the intersectional self and really the victimhood self as it's being played out today is that it starts to swallow up the individual into group identities. Nancy Piercy uh, captures this phenomenon well in her book, Finding Truth. Uh, she writes this, individuals become little more than mouthpieces for communities based on race, class, gender, ethnicity, and sexual identity. And so you can have all of those identifiers, but you then have to act as a mouthpiece for the message. And if you don't, none of those identities matter anymore. This is why black conservatives often find themselves treated worse by black liberals than they do by anybody who is a different race than they are. It's because the identity of the individual self with all of those identifiers is swallowed up in the group identity. They lose themselves in their group identity. That is paramount. You must help the group, not yourself. And seventh, and finally, uh, the independent self-determined self. This is putting a capstone on it all. Sometimes we could call this the autonomous self, that you are law unto yourself. That's what autonomous means, self-law. This version of the modern self is apparent everywhere we look. You determine you, you do you, you are the best determiner of you, and because there is no God, something always fills the void, and that what fills the void is the self. You become God. You determine yourself. You are independent of God. You are independent of the expectations of society. You are independent of all of these things. You get to be you. And what we find out is, is when the self creates its own meaning, meaning dies with the self. That we are pretty much left without any meaning. Or as Schaefer has put it, man is a limited, finite creature. He's an insufficient reference point to define himself. And so Wells, summarizing this again, returning to David Wells, summarizing all of this, he says, when God, the external God dies, the self immediately moves in to fill the vacuum. But then something strange happens. The self also dies. And with it goes meaning and reality. I put forward to you that the angst that we feel, the paradox of our age, of that all of the blessings we have, that we've never actually been less oppressed than we've ever been today, and yet we've never complained so much about it, is that the, the underlying assumption, the underlying cause of all of this problems, of our, our angst, this paradox we feel, is that we have removed God from the equation, and when God dies, something moves in to fill the vacuum. We move in to try to fill it. But when we do that, we also die because there is no reference point for ourselves to give us meaning besides ourselves. That's the damnation, as Schaefer says, of our age. Man doesn't know why he means anything. We've put forward all of these options, but none of them satisfy. We are not a sufficient reference point for ourselves. And so we are left looking for some way to find happiness, to some way to find meaning, but we cannot find it apart from God. And so now we're going to turn our attention. What does the Bible have to say about who we are, about all humans? So I encourage you to like, comment, and share in this video as we continue on this journey together.